Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Here at the TalkHouse, we pair notable musicians for thoughtful, unmoderated conversations and release new talks each week. Regular listeners will have caught recent episodes like The Smiths, Andy Rourke, and Dolores O'Riordan of The Cranberries discussing their new band, Dark, or Vince Clark of Depeche Mode, Yezu, and Erasure with Jean-Michel Jarre, featuring a synthesizer tutorial by LCD Sound System's Gavin Russell. Check out these and all of our past episodes and subscribe to get new ones on Stitcher or iTunes. Today's guests are Wayne Kramer and Tommy Stinson with a special appearance by The Hold Steady's Craig Finn in an episode recorded live at the flagship Sono store at 101 Green Street in New York City. Tommy Stinson is best known as the bass guitarist for The Replacements, the iconic cult 80s band that ushered in the age of alternative rock. He was also the longtime bassist for Guns N' Roses, with whom he toured the world and recorded Chinese Democracy. Today, Stinson fronts his reunited band Bash and Pop. They'll spend much of this year touring their new record, Anything Could Happen. Wayne Kramer got his start as guitarist for the MC5, the legendary Michigan punk band known for their anti-establishment messages. He's also played with Gang War, his group with Johnny Thunders, Mud Honey, and more, and even worked with Gigi Allen. Now Kramer co-runs Muscletone Records and works with Jail Guitar Doors, an organization that works to provide instruments and concerts to prisons around the country. He also scores for film and television. Wayne and Tommy sat down at the Sono store in November when a collaborations tour brought them to Manhattan for a pair of shows. Their chat takes on America's current political situation and how the arts can help, Tommy's older brother Bob Stinson teaching him to play the bass, and why Tommy had trouble learning the MC5's iconic kick out the jams. A quick note, Tommy was so excited to start talking with Wayne that he didn't even wait for the event to start, just dove right in and told us to start rolling even before we closed the soundproof booth's door. When you're working with a replacement, you're working with a replacement. Check it out. Kick all the jams was fucking great both, both shows, I thought. It felt good to me, anyway. It's, it's a sturdy song. The whole thing was pretty funny. Just figuring out that, like, trying to play that song with other people and figuring out, like, well, the bass player fucks up the first note. Like, that's the problem. I've, I've always, like, I don't know how to play this song because the first note that I hear is, like, <laughs> this kind of thing. He had never played bass before he joined the band. Whoa. And he could barely play the guitar. Whoa. I thought that I could teach him. Yeah. But, you know, there's something that motivates you to be a bass player or be a guitar player, be a drummer. Whatever. Something inside yourself that says, that's what I want to do. Well, he never had that. Wow. I decided for him. Wow. And Dude, I didn't, that, that even makes more sense. And that makes, that's, that's a great story. Fucking, I never heard that one. So... And, you know, like, it's not like he had bass players that he uh, idolized or right. wanted to Was he emulate. just like a buddy or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. Know, oh, man. That's a good He was good-looking. That's why I hired him. <laughs> He's going to bring the ladies. <laughs> I, I was as vain. I think that's what my brother was thinking with me when he showed me how to play bass. But uh, I didn't bring him any ladies. I kind of kept them all to myself. Roughly. So he never, you know, like the rudiments of music, he, you know, he just bypassed all that. What did, what did you show him? What was the first song you showed him how to play? Well, we were already a working band, so I just showed him the songs that we were doing in the set, you know, and right. he could play well enough to, you know, approximate the figures and that, but... Right. So he was a buddy of yours, and you showed him how to play bass. Did you show him, like, the, like the, the, you know, 
blue scale, just a quick little thing? Or? No, no, just exactly the parts to play on the songs. <laughs> That's great. My, my brother showed me four songs. Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, uh, um, Roundabout, weird enough. Um, Show Me The Way, which is a weird one that was in there. And um, I'm blanking on the last one. I'll think about it in a minute. Yeah, but it was it's like, okay, here's the four songs I'm going to show you how to play. And here's how I play blues. And now we're going to play. <laughs> now you're in a band. Now you're in a band. <laughs> yeah. It's killer, though. I mean, it's, but, but clearly, you you identify with the bass. You see yourself as a bass player. You you're interested in the bass. You hear other bass players play. Yeah, yeah, and I do. I do actually have favorite bass players and stuff. So it's part of the whole thing, I suppose. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's like yeah, it's a, this this is a great story because I it kind it just kind of reminds me of my brother caught me screwing around with the bass and he's like, "You want to play that?" I'm like, "Sure." And then I started playing it. It like hurt my fingers and all this, that, and the other thing. And like, no, I don't want to play that anymore, you know. And, and, the, and I, the bass, is, you know, it's a serious instrument. I think it's the toughest chair in the band. <laughs> because, because really, you're controlling the, the entire sound of the band. I mean, that's what Bill Wyman talks about, you know, when he, he was inspired to play music. And when he discovered the bass player, without being the guy out in front, was really running the whole show. Right. The whole momentum of the band, the the whole sound of the band he could control with the bass. Well, I wonder what that says about me last night. Whoa, hey, ho. You ever have a uniquely unique New York City experience where you're like, there's something that you need from New York City specifically? Like in, in all the years you've been coming to New York, I had one of these two nights, two nights ago. I took a little nap after we rehearsed. I'm like, man, I want a potato knish right now. And I couldn't, I'm like, where am I going to get this? And I called, I think I called Jesse, and I, no one got back to me on it. There was nothing open at 11 o'clock. But you ever have one of those, like, uniquely, like, I have to have this right now? Besides, you know. Back in the day when we were using and whatever, you know, that yeah. kind of crap. <laughs> those, those, those uniquely New York needs. Uh, yeah, with, with food in particular. One is cold noodles and sesame sauce, which is very hard to get on the West Coast. You know, I live in, yeah. in L.A., yeah. I do have a place I can get it now. But um, that and, of course, a, a, a real... Single slice of New York pizza. Yeah, like you yeah. walk, you know, you're walking That's on the Jesse street. That Jesse got the other day was great. Did you think so? That didn't I, I kill a, me. I had, I had a piece, and I was like, that's all right. Is that, but is that Ray's? I mean, I don't know. No, <laughs> it wasn't. It was Remember like, when Ray's was great, though? Yeah, that pizza we got the other night was kind of like arty California pizza. <laughs> I, I wasn't down with that at all. I said, oh, I come all the way to New York for this? That's fine. I was fine with it. I guess I was just kind of extra hungry at that point. <laughs> but I got one today. Warm. With mustard on it, it was fantastic. I just got to tell you right now, it was a fantastic potato knish. You're right. You'd be hard-pressed to find that in many other cities in this country. It's just one of those Or things. in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's a uniquely New York thing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let me, let me ask you this. Um, I was thinking about all kinds of stuff this morning I want to talk to you about as long as we're doing this kind of thing here. Um, because we're doing Kick Out the Jams, um, which was you guys did that in like 68, right? Mm-hmm. The height of like the civil rights movement and all this stuff, right? And I don't want to get all crazy political right now, but I, but I, I had to ask you because this has been an incredible 
10 days here with what's going on in the world right now. And I just was wondering, like, so, I mean, I've been, I've been talking to friends of mine just saying, like, calm down. You can't sit here and project what's going to happen because there still are, even a, with a one-sided, completely Republican-run, you know, democracy, that there are still checks and balances still in play, even as they're all there, right? Uh, but all my friends are freaking. I'm like, you got to calm down. You, you can react, and we'll have our, you know, we'll have our day if it goes completely bonkers. But like, you know, you you grew up in, in that period, I, and um. You know, I was just a kid. How do you, I mean, do you, are you worried about the things? Like, I'm, me and my friends are all worried that, like, civil rights things are going to be rolled back. Roe v. Wade's going to be rolled Like, everyone's panicking in this kind of way. Like, what do you, what's your, th I mean, you've been around a while. You, just tell me, what do you, what do you think about what's happening with this? Without getting crazy political, obviously, but. Let's get crazy political. What else is there? Yeah. It's the most interesting thing to talk about. Well, the framers were wise in building the system, yeah. the American experiment, um, it, with checks and balances, with the you know the, the legislative, the courts, and the executive branch um, to prevent um, demagogues and dictators from grabbing power. Yeah. So. As much as, um, you know, there's a great deal of concern about um, the president-elect, um, the system ain't going to flex that much. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, about a five-degree swing from left to right. So we don't have to all be worried, like, shit is going to completely go down the toilet right now. The whole country is going to go... The apocalypse is coming. I mean, I mean, I, I, I seriously, my, my friends and people that have been talking about this last week, like, have been just, just beat up by it. And I'm like, I, I was too. And I'm going, but wait, there's still, there's still things in place to keep that from happening. Well, change doesn't doesn't actually happen that quick. I, yeah. I'm, I'm always uh, uh, amused by change candidates. I mean, even Barack was <laughs> sold himself as a change candidate. And got stuck the in the same mire. president is a change candidate. But the system is not designed to change. It's designed for more of the same, to keep everything moving forward bit by bit, piece by yeah. Change comes in one little piece of legislation, one court ruling, public yeah. opinion, and it happens over long periods of time more than one uh, sitting president, more than one uh, uh, Congress. Um, change happens very slowly. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, in the 1960s, I thought that reefer would be legalized next year or the year after. <laughs> you know, it's 50 years later, and it's finally happened. It took 50 years. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of ways, um, I think it's going to be an interesting few years to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not worried about, um, you know, uh, this uh, a demagogue uh, uprooting everything. You know, uprooting my life. Yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I mean, I, and I, I was asking you, you got a, you got a new, you have a three year old son, right? Right. So, and I'm, you know, I got an eight year old daughter and a 26 year old daughter. So it's like. I wanted to just get your take on it because I have friends, you know, just losing their mind grapes over this stuff. And I'm like, 
hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Everyone's got to just calm the fuck down for a minute. Because, you know, it's, it, ain't, it ain't the apocalypse can't just happen overnight. No, it's not <laughs> set up. For, it's, it, there's some pretty good safeguards built in. I mean, and already, you know, the, the things that he talked about on the campaign trail, he's discovering that you don't just walk in and, and buy fiat, declare that all this stuff is going away now, and I'm, I'm going to come up with something. And it's going to be fabulous. It's going to be terrific. You're going to love it. And this shit don't work that way. You know, it's no. way more complicated than that. Yeah. So, he's going to get spanked, I think, when he walks in office. So just to, okay, because <laughs> his own party's going to, dude, you know, that wall thing, that's not really going to happen. We got to tamp that down a little His bit. own party <laughs> isn't actually his own party. I mean, He's got as, as many problems with the Republican Party as he does with the Democrat. Yeah. I mean, he was a Democrat before he was a Republican. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few years. <laughs> Probably some good art will come out of it. Oh, Artists shit, seem yeah. to get uh, bees in their bonnets, you know, and they, they start grinding out some, some, some vivid work. And yeah. That's always good. Yeah, yeah. Art, artists are always the point of the spear, you know, I think... Oftentimes, artists are hypersensitive. They see things, they are uh, affected by things, and it goes into the art, and then yeah. it comes out and, and uh, carries a message or carries a vision of a, of a way things might be. Yeah, yeah. And um, music and art, I, I think both of them kind of can react to that kind of that kind of tension, that sort of political tension in a funny way, which is which is good. I think it's 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 a good release, you know. I think people, yeah, yeah. people I, feel I, that. I feel like part of my job is is kind of uh reporting on on the news as I see it, whether it's you know internal news or external news. Yeah. You know, however I've if I can be honest in how I feel about something and I can convert that into a song chances are somebody else feels that way too because we all have the same feelings. You know, we all have fear and yeah. we all have hope and we all have aspirations and concerns. And the trick is, you know, do you have the courage enough to be honest about it and do the work to get it in a song? Yeah. For me, you know, I yeah. mean, uh, I sometimes it takes me 15 years to write a song, you know. By that time, that presidency will have already changed again <laughs> several times. Right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <clears throat> I haven't. I haven't really. <clears throat> I haven't sat down and like written like a <clears throat> politically motivated song per se. I mean, I, I I have I have thoughts and stuff that I, you know, that I put into my lyrics and stuff once in a while. But I don't really get too much into into that because I, you know, I, I still I, I still there's just so much to learn. I mean, I'm you know my age. I'm still trying to figure out like what where where is this stuff going and what does it mean and how does it really affect me and like I still have a lot of questions about it. I don't really have an idea uh, per, like I, I have no idea what the heck's going on really you know I don't think we any of us do because we're not politicians but but if you still have a lot of questions you can't really you know I, I don't feel like I should be penning anything per se until I have solid answers to shit going wrong or shit going one way or the other that I can put in my cranium and like you know know for facts, you know what I mean? So I'll hint around it, you know, hint around a little bit, you know, and talk about it, try, hopefully raise the question people can ask themselves, you know, figure it out. Uh, there's going to be a lot of room for that coming up. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think 
we want to preach to anybody. I don't think we, <laughs> no. we, we want to. That's not our you know, job. Songwriting is not a didactic uh, art form. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can. We can. We you know we use metaphor. Yeah. And and um, the metaphors grant us a lot of latitude. Yeah. Of you know what what exactly are is he talking about? You know, <laughs> which is good. It makes for better art. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times, you know, if you if you if you got to narrow it down to to a kind of do this, do that. I feel like you're you like people are going to go. You know, you know, I don't need another, somebody else telling me what to think. Right. You know? Don't need someone else telling me what I should be or shouldn't be doing. I mean, there's enough for them out there already. So it's, it's screw that. Yeah. I mean, that's why I mean. If if I think if we're just honest, you know, and say this is how I feel, you know, I'm I'm uh, you know, and I can I can put it in a some kind of poetic form, you know, that I'm concerned or I'm afraid. Um, you know that that's enough because uh, to me what great art has always done is uh, told me I'm not alone you know like when when Picasso painted Guernica you know right. like people were upset about that painting you know I mean he was he was hated by the critics you can't you can't put body parts in a painting and bombings yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But Guern you know Picasso was upset about war he saw the horror of it, yep. and he put it into his work. So when I look at Guernica, he, it's like he's sending me a message across time, you know, like yeah. this is how he felt. Shit. And it makes me feel like, geez, that's how I feel about it too. So I'm not the only nutcase out here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, you know, maybe somebody else feels this way, you know. And, and I think that gives us um, a place in our, in our time, you know, uh, a uh, identity and a sense of community, you know, that like, like if you like a particular uh, tribe called Quest song and I like that song, yeah. then we meet together in that song, you know, yeah. we share that together. So, you know, that, that gives us some unity, some, some community, some, some connection between yeah. us because yeah, yeah. the isolation is the problem. Connection is the answer, you know, and as long as we can connect, then, you know, then, then we have a fighting chance. Man, on that note, you are right on, brother. <laughs> I love you lots. It's great to see you again, man. Fucking Finn. Come on in, bud. All right. Uh, these are questions that came in from the internet. Um, Nicholas Nunzi in Brooklyn. Uh, this is a question for Tommy. Um, he's asking about Minneapolis, but I guess to boil it down, he wants to know if you have a favorite Husker Du song. Nope. No. <laughs> no. Played with him a bunch, toured them a whole lot. I'll be frank, I wasn't really a big fan. Really? Wow. Yeah, I wasn't. I... And it's not like it was like a bad thing. It's just like I, you know, I like Black Flag. They didn't move you. No. Okay. Interesting. Sorry. Wow. All right. Uh, no, God, I think that's a good terrible answer. to say that, but it's the reality. Fascinating. Um, Teresa Markham in Chicago. 
uh, starts out with an OMG and then says, um, this is for Wayne, what compelled the MC5 to show up at the Democratic Convention when everyone else had bailed? Well, we didn't know everyone else had bailed till we got there. <laughs> <laughs> then we realized, geez, they all had a lot more sense than we did. <laughs> but, you know, we just felt like um, we would play and at any opportunity, and we had played a lot of... Um, we were kind of like a community band, you mm -hmm. know, and our community was there to uh, carry a message to the Democrats, and we wanted to be part of it. So we did that stuff all the time. That sure. It was absolutely normal for us. Right. Cool. Cool. We need uh, more of that now. I'll tell you that right now. Seems like it. Uh, that, uh, John Forbes writes in another question for Wayne. Do you feel... Ask Wayne if he felt gang war was a missed opportunity and how he would rate Johnny Thunder's dancing. How would I rate Johnny Thunder's? That's the question, yeah. Dancing. Dancing? Yeah. Well, he was unique. <laughs> he, had, he had his own style. Um, uh, and what was the first half of do the you, question? Do you feel like gang war was a missed opportunity? Well, of course it was. You know, it was... It looked good on paper, sure. you know, <laughs> two band leaders, two guitar players from separate cities and joining forces and going to go out and rock the world. But, you know, you, you can't hardly talk about that band or, or that era, in, in my experience, w without talking about addiction. Yeah. And anytime um, addiction, whether it's you know alcohol or or opiates or amphetamines, um, or gambling or sex or food for that matter, yeah. anytime you know that you have behaviors um, that take priority, then the thing you're trying to do is going to suffer. So you know, anytime we had something that we tried to accomplish, we always had to cop first. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually the priority, and 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 it was all kind of doomed from the beginning. I mean, yeah, it was a missed opportunity, but in reality, it never had a chance. Sure. How much touring did you do in that? You know, it was much as you can do in a year, or okay. eighteen months that it lasted. Yeah. Up and down the East Coast and around the Midwest once, and because I, I actually I don't know if you remember Tommy, but I'm pretty sure that there there was a really cool gang war poster in Orfolk for years. I think um, I think the story is, uh, if I recall this correctly, you guys played the entry, Seventh Street entry, and uh, blew up Bob Mold's guitar amp, and he was stoked about it. <laughs> if I remember this story right, he probably tells it better. But you guys played, and uh, one of you blew up his little fender or whatever, and he was like pretty elated by that. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. My um, could do story. Uh, and one more uh, for Tommy. Why have you waited a quarter of a century between uh, Bash and Pop Records? That's a really fucking good question, bub. Um, it wasn't really about waiting. It was more about... Um, <clears throat> I think the material, the material that I wrote for New Record was reminding people of... <clears throat> of the Bastion Pop record I did in you know back in the 1900s, and and because it was reminding people of that, and I it wasn't a solo record per se, mm -hmm. like you know me by myself. It was a band record. Um, it made sense to call it a call it 
you know, that record called Bash and Pop. And, um, and uh, I had to think a lot long and hard on it because I wasn't really sure I felt comfortable doing that because mm-hmm. two of the members of Bash and Pop had died. Yeah. Um, and it's a different band, but the material is like, you know, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> similar in its makeup, very sort of kind of rock and roll rootsy kind of thing, which um, I, it's, my, it's, my, uh, it's my flesh and blood, basically, of that kind of music. Cool. Well, that's what I got for you guys. Good. Let's get out of here. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I'm Elia Einhorn, and you've been listening to Tommy Stinson and Wayne Kramer on the TalkHouse Music Podcast. To see an exclusive video of Tommy and Wayne chatting at Sonos 101G, head over to thetalkhouse.com. Subscribe on Stitcher or iTunes for upcoming episodes like Emil Amos of Holy Sons with Steve Malkmus and Dan Deacon in conversation with Andrew WK. And watch for Craig Finn's new LP coming early this year on Partisan Records. Today's episode is recorded and mixed by Mark Yoshizumi. Till next time...